Off the back of one failed business, my next guest decided to take the same team and immediately start another business. Unfortunately, starting a business with massive overheads and no clients from day one is a lot more difficult even than it sounds. With funding from his family and friends and a plan to dig himself out of a hole, he started to build a new business. This is not a traditional rags to riches story as he ended up burning half a million dollars working to save the company. Daniel Marcus is a lifelong entrepreneur and a co-founder of UK-based predictive analytics startup Ramp. He built his first company at the age of 19, has seen his fair share of failures and has had three successful exits. I don't want to keep you waiting any longer, so remember, it's not over until it's over. Okay, welcome back to another episode of It's Not Over. I'm your host, Nick Harrell-Ambus, and with me today is Dan Marcus, who I've known for a while. Dan, I'm excited to hear about your story. Welcome. Thanks, Nick. Yeah, good to, good to finally be on the speaking side after I always hassled you to speak for us. <laughs> yeah, I mean, pretty crazy. I think I am, I'm breaking your podcast virginity here, so I'm excited about that too. Can't tell people that. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so as people are getting used to, let's dive right in. Tell me about the business that we're going to be covering today, what it is you did, how you made money, how big they were, your, your company was, and anything else you think is relevant and pertinent to the near-death experience we're going to discuss today. Cool. So, yeah, this is one you know pretty well, Living Your Brand, which we founded 2010. Actually, for some context, founded it right off the back of a very expensive school fee lesson in working with partners you shouldn't work with, maybe a podcast for later. And I did the silly thing up front and, and took my entire team from that company that I ran that was my business, but with a commercial agreement with someone else. And instead of putting them all out of work, we just started a new company with, with a heavy overhead. And that was obviously living your brand. And initially we started off as an events company so organizing high profile events i think our first one that we landed was the launch of the bentley mulsan back in 2010 it was awesome of course got to drive all their cars around and uh, show the press press what they could do and i suppose where the story will get to we then pivoted slightly into creating the imc conference which you shared the stage of quite a few times how big did it come it wasn't a, it wasn't a massive business we we lost a fair ton of money but we managed to recover a, a good chunk of it through through the sale of the conference and i suppose the the accolade that we had was building building the imc which we felt was one of one of the biggest marketing conferences in africa yeah and that's the business Okay, amazing. So, so that I understand, living your brand through events or held events, conferences for corporates, and you made money off those events correct. through sponsorship and to attend the events, if that's correct, yeah? So twofold. One, we would organize corporate events for, for these bigger corporates. So they would do their year-end functions, client events, where they just had a budget and said, hey, here's, give us, here's the brief, give us a proposal and organize the event. And we would just make a margin off, off that. The better side of the business, which came later, was IMC, which was our own IP, where we produced the event, sold the sponsorship, sold the delegates, and, and made money that way. Okay, got it. That makes sense. And... 2010 to exiting that business, how long was that period? When when did you exit the business? I think we finally sold the conference 2017, if I'm not mistaken. It might have been early 2018. Okay, cool. And at the peak of the company, how, how big was it in terms of revenue and staff? If you can start, Yeah, start, I think we were, we were just over 10 million in revenue. I think we might have 
peaked at 15 at one point briefly for a year, but through some of the bigger event budgets that we had. Staff, we got up to about 20, 22, there and thereabout. Now let's dive in. What was the near-death business experience you want to tell us about um, before exiting? Or was the exit actually the experience? So, yeah, I wrote a title for you, How I Turned a Cash-Sucking Death Trap into a Learning Experience to Build My Future. Yes, <laughs> brilliant. But, yeah, I mean, I've never actually spoken about this bits and pieces of it to to close friends or, or people but nothing uh, the only person that really knows the full detail is Yaku who's, who's my partner there and yeah, I suppose it's a bit embarrassing difficult to talk about mainly the question I asked myself is how could I have been so stupid maybe a bit selfish and in a nutshell we we just burned through through cash blindly I say that is is it coming off the back of that partnership that we had like i said we didn't really think we needed to to hit the ground running with a new business and so we launched living your brand uh, with the team we had we had a few account managers and, and events people from the previous company and like i said earlier i didn't want to just drop them so we took i think about eight or nine staff with us so you can imagine you know brand new startup 2010 150k or so monthly expenses with with no client in sight. So we started on the back foot pretty quickly. And and then I think just huge inexperience. I mean, I've always started my own businesses, but they've been they were quite like they were small for lack of a better word, up until then. And kind of inexperience around specifically around finance and fund uh, the way I managed the business. I didn't pay any attention really to cash flow forecasts. Uh, my dad actually backed the business quite significantly himself, and he would always ask me for the cash flow forecast. And I mean, to be quite honest, I didn't really know the best way to present one. I'm sure most people getting stuck in the first time don't themselves. And it it led me down an incredibly dangerous path, spending blindly, hiring for no reason. You know, we thought we needed people. We didn't put any any metrics in place as to why we should hire people. It was like, ah, we can't we can't do this ourselves. Let's just hire them and, and go. And Instead of you know focusing on the important shit, which was finance and cash flow, we focused on just trying to produce what we thought was excellent work, and it, it wasn't, to be quite fair. And it led it led to us burning about eight million rand pretty quickly. I think three years, maybe three and a half years, and there was just absolutely no way or sight uh, to get us out of the hole there was nothing clear to say okay well we're going to get there we're going to get out of it and i said it before you know we were running these corporate events which was great we we had lots of benefits from there we were able to do lots of trade exchanges which helped us build what we thought was more profitable events but because we didn't have such a clear sight on on the budgets the forecasts, the plans we didn't really know what we were making from each event we just you know money was coming in it was going out and and it was scary obviously and, and the problem was we had no ip we we had no annuity revenue every month we were starting on zero so you know basically the definition of being fucked really hopefully i'm allowed to say that and you are and <laughs> and you know like i said earlier worst of all for me was Part of the funding was coming from my dad. Part was coming from money I'd made back in the day from poker. Yay. And uh, he was kind enough to do that. Or stupid, I tell him most of the times, to float my dreams and help. And, you know, <laughs> to be fair for him, it, it, you know, that experience has led me to where I am today. So it was a good investment. But, it, yeah, it was scary. We were just month on month, starting on zero, trying to scavenge for, for cash. How are we going to get through this month? How are we going to pay salaries? Fortunately, we never hit a month where... We didn't have cash. I was able to always make a plan, but that plan meant more debt, obviously. 
And, and that was, so, so there's no one moment. It was just this amalgamation of three to four years of just hell. I, I remember joining EO, I can't remember when it was the time. And we sat in forum and I'll, you know, gestalt, we're not giving any forum stuff. And the question is, you know, what stresses you out? And I was like, I'm not stressed. Uh, I, I never get stressed. And, and I'll never forget the forum guys are always like, don't be ridiculous. Of course you do. And it took them about a year and a half to two years to actually suck out of me that, no, I am stressed. And they, they helped me see the light. And it kind of all really came to a grinding halt when, when, I, when I woke up one day, I was sitting on the couch, um, actually in this house. I remember the moment. And um, I was looking at supplier bills. I was looking at the overdraft, looking at SARS outstanding, all the fun things that, you know, everyone loves to pay. And I had my first, it wasn't like a heavy breakdown, but that first moment of just like sitting on the couch going, what the hell am I doing with my life? What, you know, I've got uh, you know, family to plan for. It was great. I was having fun and we were having all these crazy benefits and, and running all these high profile events. But was I building a future? Not a fuck. So it was a pretty, a pretty eye opening and, and humbling moment. And I suppose, yeah, that, that got me to, to, to the point of where we needed to make a turn. There's so much to unpack there. Uh, thank you, firstly, for being so open and honest, this being the first time you're telling the story. I'm certain, I mean, I resonate with the story because I've had a startup that's done the same, burned through millions of investment, hired people unnecessarily with no plan, didn't really understand cash flow balance and what cash flow even was. And it's incredible how, <laughs> without fail, Dan, every episode I've recorded so far, cash flow is at the heart of everything. It's like, I feel like we should just take tattoo that to our, our minds as entrepreneurs is cash flow, <laughs> cash flow, cash flow. But okay, let me let me go back and I want to ask you a series of questions. The first is uh, coming out of that failed business, immediately starting another one with eight staff, what did you feel at the time? Like your feeling, uh, because it's quite an overwhelming thing to start a business and then to end a business, but to start a business off the back of a failed one with the same staff. It's a funny one. I felt energetic, hyped amped because it wasn't a fail well yes eventually the other business failed but the, the previous company to save face for the for the guys i won't mention them but the, they carried on mm. they just owed me heaps of money we we basically ran the cape town office we had i had equity in the head office which which actually never got issued to me and the cape town office we ran as a basically a, not a satellite office but a commission-based office so we would sell sell for them and then they would need to pay us once the client paid them and eventually they just stopped paying us because they weren't managing cash flow on their side and it was actually first of april 2010 they thought i was telling them an april fool's joke that i said sorry can't keep funding your business you know we're out so i was pretty angry at that obviously mm. you know we made promises and promises have been paid and so i left there starting it and the question of how did i feel I, well i felt like you know point to prove let's get out there let's get going like i know we can do this what we're doing on our side is great we're able to to turn around good stuff and so yeah it wasn't i didn't feel scared i didn't feel you know all the things you think you would uh, off the back of a failed business or starting something new I actually i, I like there was this like shot of energy going right you know we're now being removed from this wing of doing all this work because our, our deal was also pretty shit to be honest that we had we i think we get got 20 percent commission on what we sold which just barely covered our costs so it was nice to start something that was just ours so it was exciting and looking back on that excitement was it genuine legitimate excitement or looking back with hindsight it was more fear trepidation determination a bunch of other things 
definitely excitement. Determination is a good point, a good one. I mean, I've always, like I said, I've always started my own things. I, I have a, an insane passion for being creative and, and starting businesses. I, I, I feel there's a certain skill in getting something up and running um, and then surrounding yourself with the right people that can help you grow, which at that point I didn't really see the value in. I didn't, well, I, I hadn't experienced the value of it as much as I have now. So yeah, determination, but yeah, de- definitely hindsight, looking at it, I was really excited and I thought we had, you know, once, once we, we, we had come up with the idea of the IMC, I was super excited. This might be a little bit personal and it's okay if uh, you want to be a bit more vague, but I want to go through that conversation with your dad. Like, yeah. I, I know what it's like to work with your family, to raise money from people you love. Like, how did it, how did it come about? Did you sit down and go, dad, I've got this idea. Give me money. Like walk me through that conversation. Yeah, so he he'd always supported me in in other things to a small extent, and, and you know, it always had shown a keen in, interest in in what I did. He's always been my biggest fan, still still to this day. Yeah, I think I mean there was no business plan. Let's be honest, it was an idea, and and we sat down. We said we 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 think we can do this. I mean, there was there was obviously determination and conviction in 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 what we said, but it was very much we've got a plan. We feel we can get out of, of, of the hole that we're busy fighting for of this other cash that we had still. And um, we had obviously the, the Bentley pitch lined up. We pretty much knew we were going to close it. And it was like, you know, we, we had we had some, yes, we didn't manage cash flow and it wasn't like I was completely blind, but we had a we had an idea of what type of revenue was going to come in through that. We knew we were in for sort of two million a year from from the costs. And, and, and at the time, it didn't think I was going to ever need the kind of money that we ended up burning through. And because of the payment terms in the, the proposal that we had gone through with Bentley, I knew a lot of the money was coming up front. So in my mind, it was more the initial conversation was some form of bridge, small loan, let's get going, a few hundred thousand to, to just float the first three or four months of the overheads. And, and so that conversation was actually, fair. It, it was the later ones mm. that I think were the more difficult where it was the constant, okay, we know it's coming, we we just need this little bit now. So it was never a big conversation of let's just pump in, you know, and I was taking some from my account and, you know, what, what I had saved. And it was kind of just that constant. And then, and then all of a sudden you'd have this massive payment come in from an event, which would just settle everything. And everyone, you know, then, then the excitement's back and everyone's happy. And it's like, okay, well, we can just keep doing this. False hope. It, it, it kind of reminds me of, of, of NFTs, to be quite honest. <laughs> yeah. It's going up. It's going up. Danger. Danger. I'm going to get so much hate mail from this episode already. Yeah, yeah. yeah. My <laughs> mate Trevor's going to love that. I just dropped NFTs to this. But, um, but <laughs> nice. But yeah, it, it kind of reminded me of that. And, uh, and there was always that, that, that next thing that was coming. That's what it was. It's that, that hunger mm. and then because at the time we were doing these events, there, there weren't that many companies doing well at it and being innovative. And, and, and we had this whole concept around trade exchange and being able to put on super high profile events, you know, doing supercar days and, and all these things. And, and we were able to do it by doing a lot of trade exchange, by providing high net worth individuals access to these events and then obviously a lot of the the suppliers that we use wanted to be in front of them. So they would do cost price with us. So there was always this opportunity to get more margin out of what we were doing. And there was always that next big pitch we were working on. And we were pretty confident most of the time. And, and they were closing. And the problem that, that got us into the whole we were is that we weren't focused on 
that end final profit on each event. So, you know, we, we were never making what we thought we were making. And I think one of the, the, the big ones that broke us early on is we won a massive deal for one of the big banks. Their full years, full years events, all their events uh, for the year, that would have made us. And about a month after signing contracts, they just pulled the plug before we held the first one. They got a whole new team in and decided to can the, the entire structure of events so that was obviously a big blow and but there was always another one around the corner and so so back to the original question of the, those were the conversations that were hardest because not the first three four mm. five but the 15th or the 20th time where it was like i know you've done this but this and you know you that hole just keeps getting deeper and deeper and you don't want to be the guy that has to go to your staff and say sorry there's yeah today's the day yeah, br brutal. I mean, so much of this resonates with me and raises my levels of anxiety and stress uh, just listening to you. <laughs> and and that actually, that, that point of stress, I'm curious, you said something about your EO forum taking nearly two years to get you to feel comfortable to talk about your stress. I've been down there too. Deep in one of my startups, I hadn't paid myself a salary for six months and I sat down with one of my best friends. We had coffee and he was like, how are you? And I was like, oh, everything's amazing. Startup is pumping. The world is brilliant. And then I sat back and I was like, no, dude, actually I'm completely lying. I'm lying. Everything is fucked. I haven't paid myself a salary in six months. And the relief on his face when I told him the truth, because then he felt like he could tell me the truth about his struggles, made me there and then decide to never lie about shit again. So I'm brutally honest about stuff. So I think my question to you is, why did it take you so long? What was in your head, even in this forum of other people who were stressed and anxious and struggling like you were, maybe you can unlock some thinking for my listeners. Like, why weren't you being honest? I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I think... It's probably because I'm just such a super positive person. I don't have a negative bone in my body in anything I do. Ask any, I mean, you know me. I always see the positive out of every situation. And clearly, you know, yes, it's great. And nine, nine out of 10 times, that probably helps. But there's that one time that you actually have to turn around and go, well, no, it's actually not positive. Yeah, stop fooling yourself. And I think, I think it was that. So I wasn't, for, internally, I wasn't holding back. I wasn't sitting in this forum and going, Jeez, these guys really want me to to admit and be be open here. Like when I said I'm not stressed, I, I truly believed it, and there was nothing. I mean, I told them. Interesting. I, I think what freaked them out the most is I shared these things. Like obviously, you know, not to the detail that we have, but I shared like guys, like there's problems here. Fuck, like, and they were like, "How can you sit here and tell us you're not stressed?" I'm like, "I'm not stressed. Like I'll make it work. It's positive. Is this is going to happen?" So I think it just eventually, at all that, yeah, exploded. I mean, you mentioned salary. Yeah, I mean, I think I was paying myself you know, peanuts, like, I mean, not, I mean, not peanuts, but like nothing. Uh, I think for the first six months, like you say, six to 12 months, nothing. Uh, eventually, I think, uh, I think I maxed out at like 10 grand a month or something like it was just to, to cover what I needed to as well. So yeah, on top of that, wasn't, there wasn't any money for a salary, of course. So, so, so I don't know what point I, I didn't, I mean, yeah, I kind of admitted some form of stress, but also with them, I don't think I ever really got to this level of share any anywhere. Yeah, that's yeah, it's really interesting. One of our previous guests, uh, Sean Johel, if you're listening and you want to listen to that episode too, he talks about being diagnosed as having toxic positivity. It is a, a disorder that actually affects his business negatively because when the people around him are like, "Everything is broken," he's like, "No, everything's fine," and they're like, "No, bro, seriously." 
everything is broken. And he actually has had to come to terms with this feeling that sometimes things are broken and that's okay because you're an entrepreneur who can solve them. So really interesting perspective on that. I'm interested, you said something to me earlier, like, and this is a point of pride for a lot of guests and me included, Rob Stokes that just just recorded with me and went live, said something similar that in all the years at Quirk, he never missed the salary bill. And you said you made a plan always to pay salaries. But I'm interested, like, what did that mean? What does make a plan mean? Did you go to the bank and get a loan? Did you bond your house? Like what was making a plan every month? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously the times when I was taking some form of salary that, that disappeared, putting in, so what I'd saved up through previous businesses through, I mean, I played poker for many years and managed to save up a, a good chunk, but I emptied that out. Obviously, you know, the, the bank of dad helped quite a bit and also the loan. So, I mean, I, I, I entered into quite a heavy overdraft with, with FNB. Took me a long time to pay that back. Yeah, mm-hmm. so, so that was it. It was just, like I said, it just kept committing myself to more and more, more debt. Uh, but at the same time, other plans that were made was just getting down, grinding and hustling, finding, going back to clients that we had done work with, finding out if there were more events coming, getting some prepayments on events for two months ahead and yeah, just doing whatever we needed to to, to settle that. Once the, the conference started kicking off, that really helped us from a month from a cash flow perspective that helped a lot because with a client event you know they've obviously generally they'll give you the brief and then the event may be in three four five months time you're getting 20 percent deposit up front and the rest later so you could never structure your you, you some months you're getting no no revenue at all if you didn't have any events lined up but with the conference we would book an event eventually we end up doing two or three in a year but we would plan an event say starting in January and have a September and October event and sales would begin almost immediately. So we were able to start bringing in cash flow much more frequently, obviously quite sporadic, sporadic, but at least that kept cash flow coming in. But the problem was we weren't, there was no form of deferring that revenue. And it was just like, cool, there's cash in the bank, pay the salaries, pay, pay what we need to. And then that's where the big hole started to shine. It started giving us much more frequent revenue, but more sporadic. But the problem with it is there's cash in the bank every month now. Great. But when you get to the conference time and now you had all these massive supplies to pay, well, that cash has been used. And that's where the bigger hole started to, to really show its face. Yeah, man, what a complex uh, business. But again, like I, I, as you now will know and admit to, it's all about managing your cash flow. And it's just such a fundamental basic principle in business that is overlooked because we all want to do the cool shit instead of the basic shit, money in, yeah. money out. So yeah, I appreciate that you highlight this because it's something I hammer on about all the time to the people that I coach, to the startups I invest in is like, I don't, products, products, services, service, but what's money coming in and what's money coming out? Like that's the deal. So I'm interested in, you said you were still having fun. And the question I want to ask you is looking back, were you actually having fun? Because I've said that too about my startups. I was great. It was intense. It was passionate. But looking back, I was broken. I was burned out and I was broken. Like, were you actually having fun or were you also suffering? Hey folks, it's Nick here, and I know I'm interrupting this fascinating conversation, and that can be irritating, but I wanted to ask you to help me out with a couple of things. The first is, please subscribe to this podcast right now. Hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening, Spotify, Apple, Google, YouTube, wherever it may be. And if you're feeling generous, give us a five-star rating. Then, 
If you're an entrepreneur and these conversations resonate with you and you're feeling like an imposter or you're feeling overwhelmed or you're struggling to find balance or you just need help scaling your company, then get in touch with me and let's talk about your coaching options and how I can help you. Visit nharry.com right now. That is n-h-a-r-r-y.com. Back to the knowledge bombs. I'm quite a, I'm, I'm super energetic. I've always got lots of energy. So, and I think that, like you said, looking back masked a lot of the pain. Was I having fun? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we were doing cool stuff. I was enjoying what I was doing from the creative point of view. But yeah, absolutely. There was, there was this like deeper pain and, you know, you, when you're in the moment, it's great. And then you go home or you hear stories of everyone else. You're always looking, oh, this guy's doing this. Why aren't we able to have the, the profits that they have? And, and yeah, there was, there was fun for sure. But yeah, there was absolutely this, this just pain and shit feeling of like, when is this actually going to turn? Working so hard, kick, you know, we putting on these conferences for these massive corporates, getting some of the top people in the world to attend but we weren't able to to generate the revenues that we had hoped. So yeah, I mean, there's always that that hell. Yeah, and I mean, let's let's speak to the finances for a second. You you said earlier that you were making you weren't making what you thought you were making at the end of each event. I'm interested in why. Like, how did that actually pan out? If you thought you were going to make a million rand in profit, or let's say a hundred thousand dollars or whatever, why wasn't that money there? And and how did you not realize that? Yeah, I think from from the conference side of things, we were fine because that was pretty easy to track and to to manage. I think it was more around the events, the events business, which was a separate business unit, which we just didn't pay attention to 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 the cost. To be honest, like it, you know, we we had a budget. This is what you you guys are getting from a revenue perspective. This is what we need to to spend. And I think there was a bit of let's just do what we can to impress to make sure we get continuous events down the line and. I don't think there's a, a logical or a clear answer to it other than we just weren't focused on it. For our, you know, the moment we, I still remember the day, I don't know, well, the day, remember the moment. I'd just come back from, from London and I sat Yaku down. You remember Yaku? And um, I said to him, right, we're changing things. We can't keep losing money. This is after my, my realization moment. And I told him we're canning the events team because the, at the time, the events part of the business was like 90% of the staff. The conference was pretty much run by like four people. And I just said, we're canning the events company. We've got to, we've got to let everyone know. I think we retrenched about 15 people at the time. Um, if not a bit more. And he, I mean, I've never seen anyone go so ghost white. <laughs> but his uh, relief also turned quite quickly. It was this like shock to the system. And then it was, okay, well, you know, that's actually smart and it makes sense. And and I think from that moment is when things started to turn quite nicely. And you know, we actually had a much better view because it was one thing to focus on, not all these different events and the conference. The conference was pretty easy to say, well, we know what the standard costs are. There's quite a, quite a decent template for it. The revenue is delegates and, and sponsors. Put it all together and we know what we're making. And the problem, we, we never quite sold as much as we wanted to you know we'd had these budgets and we'd we'd think we'd get there and we'd always fall about 30 percent short but we had a much started to form a much better handle on, on what we were doing yeah, there's such an interesting observation there that's it's come up in a few of uh, my episodes that businesses scale and then become bulky and the overheads in a specific department destroy the profits in another department and sometimes it just takes a little bit of perspective to sit back and go 
hold on, where's the biggest margin and where's the biggest overhead? And how do we mitigate those two things against one another to have a profitable business? And therein is the tough decision, right? That you had yeah. to be the leader and go, fuck it, we got we got to 15 people, got to go. And I'm interested in that moment, right? So you and Yaku then went and did what? Did you immediately gather your team of 15 and tell them they were done? How, how did that unravel? Let me think back. So I think we did it the right way. I spoke to some, con- some close consultant friends of ours that, that specialize from an HR perspective, you know, what we needed to do that to, to make sure things were done properly. And before we pulled any triggers or, or made any rash decisions, we just plotted it all out, made sure that one, like you say, the events were the thing that were pulling us down. And did we believe we could take the conference to the level that we thought we could i think i think we at the time we were only doing one a year so it was can we start producing one in joburg one in cape town we had plans to do kenya london i think we even announced them uh, as well so we we had a big ambition to grow a global conference business there were three or four global conference companies that we cited as potential acquirers once we hit a certain level and we were getting contacted by a number of global organizations interested in talking to us so we we mapped that out and this is where we actually i think was quite a turning point in both of us to say well let's actually start thinking properly not just shooting from the hip we took a bit of a break and it probably took us a few weeks before we decided let's do it and then yeah we obviously pulled the team together everyone knew i mean we were pretty open with the business with 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 where it was at so it wasn't this crazy shock to anyone and then we made sure we treat we, we looked after everyone they all got paid out properly i made sure i uh, made introductions to my network to see if i could uh, obviously help get people put onto new new positions and then once once the dust had settled we we started planning and started producing the the next phase of, of how we can get these conferences to grow okay so i want to talk to you about your relationship with yaku yako uh, yako yako yeah yeah, and the co-founder relationship in general. I mean, it's always hard being a sole founder, so it's nice to have somebody around. How did that like go in difficult times with your dad's money and like lots of complexity in this relationship? How did it pan out? Yeah, I mean, we've always had a good relationship. We still do. He's moved to London now, uh, in touch all the time. He actually was with me at the previous firm, so moved across, and he was pretty bullish. Like, I see the potential here. I'd like to do this, and gave him equity and said, "Right, let's do this together." And there was never any, well, it's, you know, our money, and you're doing this. Like, you know, we we had a really solid foundation. We got on really well. Very different personalities, but just always saw eye to eye. And when we didn't, it was a conversation and hear each other out and and work well. So there was a really, really good, solid partnership relationship there and i mean i credit him for us being able to exit 100 percent. so i mean we what we haven't spoken about yet is during all of this in this transition my you know I, I actually then came across what ended up being my first real proper business i say proper business a business that we were able to exit in, in a decent way was was magnetic and and that came out because we were looking for a platform to help manage our sales team and looking at, at living a brand and came across a very early beta version of magnetic and after using it for some time i was like geez i'm stuck in this world of starting every month on zero terrible and here's this beautiful thing called annuity revenue that no one was really talking about at the time i was like my goodness i need to get get my hands into this and i suppose my 
my weakness was just always wanting to start something new and get into something fresh. And, and, and I did that openly with Yaku. I think probably one of my regrets is actually not getting him involved in that as well. I should have. And, but at, I can't remember when it was, but this is now after we had made the decision, let's, let's terminate certain areas and let's actually start to focus. So we had a, a good foundation when I then made the decision to rather focus full time on magnetic and felt like I could trust Yaku to to take living your brand to where we needed to be with me consulting and helping him on on the bigger decisions and the bigger strategic things while he ran the business and, and drove it. And and that's why I say I credit him to to us being able to eventually sell the conference because that was all him. So he helped us. He helped, you know, see out this vision, get the conference to a point where people were interested in it and uh, we were able to sell it. And, and to this day, still Dale Heffer, who, who bought the conference for, from us uh, back then, has turned it into what we had always hoped it would be and we just you know between us wow. we couldn't couldn't help we couldn't get it to reach the heights we wanted to and i mean that's just uh there's no reason for that and and dale had the vision and the mm. and the, the passion to be able to take it there so yaku and i yeah we speak all the time we would go have our what we call our creamy beers when i go over to london and fortunately we never had any of those i mean you would expect massive blowouts and partners when there's heavy money mm. but we didn't have that i mean you had your odd little tiff here and there about when there's these high pressure situations when the sales are coming through but yeah i mean what you would expect in any business so yeah solid solid relationship solid yeah. partnership was the exits profitable that the investors got their money back and you guys walked away with stuff or was it a bit of a shit show no definitely a shit show definitely <laughs> so, okay. yeah come now so so actually um bad with dates but i think around 2016 or so yaku wanted to move to london which was great i mean I, we had always had this vision to to launch to launch the conference in london i was like well go i mean obviously we can't afford to pay you a pound salary he's like fine we'll we'll work it out and and he spent yeah, a good year and a half two years on a, on a rand salary living in london trying to to hack it and we had a, i still had the team set with me me here and you know we tried and and we also pivoted slightly we tried to use the contacts from the conference to do a lead generation business like we tried to to have complementary offerings with what we were doing and, and it, some of the stuff worked um but eventually you know yaku yaku needed to earn some pounds to to be able to buy his milk and bread and we we just we chatted and we're like there's no way we go we anywhere near to a point where we think it can and fortunately i had a few conversations and was able to find find a buyer that you know, it, it covered some of the debts in the 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 more pressing debt like and and that it saw that we we, we still paid the deal still paid the staff for like, I think it was either six months or 12 months to help them run their first conference after the, the buying of the, 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 the rights to run it. And we helped them go through that one. And so we were able to part ways. They took a lot of our staff across with them in a, in a positive way in that there was no like explosion of, okay, now we need to come up with more money now after this. So, so yeah, certainly didn't cover cover any debt i'm still paying that and that's fine wow. we do and but mm. yeah at least yeah. at least i was able to clean up from a living your brand perspective you know all the size bills all the overdrafts all of that's clean and clear and, and then done and dusted and um got an arrangement with my dad and you know he <laughs> he'll come bashing my door down one day but but i settle i settle what i can when i can to to make sure that he's whole the final part of this that I want to sort of dig into is your personal life and how this affected everything that was going on. Like you say that you were a positive guy. Did that 
maintain into your personal life, your relationships with your family, your friends, your partner? Like what was going on over that three or four year period? Yeah, I mean, you'd probably call bullshit, but it, it did. Like I'm pretty good at, at, at I, I don't talk about feelings a lot, as you can imagine. And, and yeah, like it's, it's just not me. Uh, so, so I was pretty good at just because there was still that element of excitement and there's always, you know, whether it was just blind stupidity dream that we were going to build this conference into what we thought we could get it to. And, and, and yeah, if I didn't, if, if magnetic hadn't come along and I was able to, are you still there? Cause it's gone blank. You're still there, Nick. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, so, you know, if, 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 I was able to spend full time on it and, and at the time when we thought the change was happening, would we have got any further? I don't know. I'd like to think so, but probably not. I mean, Yaku was doing everything we had, had hoped to do. And unfortunately, we just couldn't convert the sales that we, we thought we could. And that, that was still with me helping on sales. So, so all of that excitement still kept me positive, obviously. And so from personal life, friends, no, I still, I still kept going, still, still kept that positivity I, I was pretty good at at keeping work stuff out of personal life i still i still do i suppose it's a it's, it's a strength but that i see does I mean, that mean that you yeah. were working normal hours or you were working 12 days a week trying to find those extra times like yeah. when you say that it didn't affect you <laughs> like how did it not affect you you see what i mean like because you're saying that burnout was normal and that it didn't affect you but i, I get the sense that you were probably quite burned out at the time yeah. Okay. So if, if you look at it that way, of course, I mean, I was working stupid hours and I didn't have kids at the time, so I was able to. So, so if you look at it in that sense, it's difficult to put, put words to it. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it affected me in the way that, yeah, I might've been missing out on, on certain other moments that you should have them, but I still work crazy hours and, and, and I don't have these explosions happening. It's just, I, I love to do that. So my wife kicks, kicks my chops all the time because, because I struggle to turn off, but that's just me. So, so, so I was able, you know, what I was doing, even though it was firefighting and doing it, I still thoroughly enjoyed it. Still, you know, it was, it, it, it was a challenge. It was like, how, it's a challenge. How do I get out of this hole and what do I need to do to do it, to, to, to push it? So unfortunately, yeah. the, back to the original question of, of the exit, no, the exit didn't get us out of the financial hole. Absolutely not. But it stopped the tap, mm. right? Or it, it, it closed the, at least put a cover on the hole. Uh, and it gave me an opportunity to to try and fix it. And every single lesson that I learned, the bad ones, has allowed me, well, I took on to Magnetic, which saw us to a successful exit. It's put me into where I am now. So so while the, the, the money is gone from that venture, I will pay it all back. Uh, and I really have, you know, a significant amount. Um, the It's school fees. I, I, mm. I didn't, I didn't spend the tens or hundreds of thousands at varsity i didn't i didn't go through and get a degree and and you know my my school my school initially was poker and and working in the bars and so i i do i do put it towards that i mean fortunately i was really lucky to have have a dad that could could fund that dream and and put a significant amount towards it and I'm, I'm, I'm happy i was able to also fund alongside him but but so Exit wise, no, didn't cover it. Lessons learned, absolutely. It's a good segue into one of the more final questions of the show is 
what did you learn that you take away with you everywhere you go now? Um, slow down. <laughs> don't, don't, don't jump into anything. Plan, 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 plan. Like, just, I, I am in a, I read a great book, Multipliers, years ago. And, you know, one of the accidental diminishers is the ideas man. And yeah, I, I used to be that. I, I've, I come up with ideas in my sleep and I used to act on them way too quickly. And, you know, every Yaku used to, I suppose there, that's where Yaku used to get pissed off with me. Every single day there's this new idea. And he's like, just shut up. <laughs> just, uh, and, um, and so, yeah, don't, don't be the ideas man. Plan properly, think through it before you throw them out. I still have lots and still push them on, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's 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 just my trait. Surround yourself with people smarter than you. Um, I, I think I've done that pretty well now. It's just specifically around finance. So my partner Jan, who is our third business now together, I mean, he without him, I mean, I've learned my lesson, but I still wouldn't be able to do what he does. And it's 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 quite exceptional having people like that around. And and something quite small, what I do now, being a non-finance person, mm-hmm. but just understanding the implication of every single line item on your income statement. I actually go through it, I analyze it continuously, and, and we always look at how we can, whether it's the telephone, internet line item, whatever it might be, there's always ways to optimize. And if you optimize those little bits, you roll them all up, eventually you have a really good a good way of actually increasing your bottom line without without going and getting more revenue and and, and reducing those costs. So yeah, just think first before before jumping into to anything and yeah, the big one that I said up front is just slow down. There's, there's, there's a time and a place to move quickly. And I actually had the conversation with, with one of my partners now and the time and place to move quickly is when you're closing deals, you can't sit. Sit on, sit on that and they get stressed because oh, you can't send the contract yet. I'm like, yes, you can. And there it's signed. That's when you move fast. But when, when you're starting a business, when you, when you looking at the plan, just slow down. You don't, you don't always, nothing's one, you know, that, that famous saying, you know, overnight success, but 20 years of planning. I, I did a presentation recently where I actually drew up my timeline and I think I've been doing this for about 21 years now and i put all the different logos of all the companies started and yeah it's crazy and, and i still don't feel that i've got that big success so it takes time yeah yeah i know the feeling dan this <laughs> has been so insightful and i resonate with so much of your story but before i let you go please tell listeners and viewers what you're up to now where they can find you online and how to connect with you Awesome. Cool. Well, thanks. Yeah. I mean, firstly, thanks. Hopefully, uh, hopefully sharing, which, which I said feels embarrassing and stupidity and stuff. And uh, <laughs> hopefully the guys get some lessons, get some lessons from it. Yeah. So I think post my exit, so we exited in 2018 out of Magnetic. That was really cool. And that was obviously a SaaS business that we, we, we built up from, from the ground up. We had two other co-founders, but Jan and I, it was our second business together. And at the time of the exit, a friend of mine that I'd known from the UK had, had approached me to say, hypothetically, would you help me start Ramp? And it was all exciting, but I'd said, you know, I've got this, this other business I'm part of, and I've got a responsibility to our shareholders and, and everyone, and it, it just wasn't a good time. So, so I joined June last year. The business is called Ramp. Essentially, it's a SaaS platform which helps B2C companies predict their users and revenue. Uh, and most importantly, we do it accurately and at a speed that's pretty much impossible to replicate with spreadsheets. And it's really cool, super exciting. And uh, where can people get in touch with you online and find you uh, on socials? Share the love. 
Yeah, so I mean, the, the company website is rampgrowth.com. Our new one's actually launching hopefully next week. I'm not that big on social. Every now and then I go through a bit of a Twitter frenzy when I when I get stuck into NFTs. And that's just Dan Marcus SA. Uh, and then LinkedIn is where I pretty much live uh, most of the time. Amazing. Dan, uh-huh. as a friend of yours and somebody who's watched your journey, I'm really excited to say that for you, it's not over. <laughs> it's over.